Voice Talks presented by Google Assistant is premiering Tuesday, April 28th at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You'll hear from industry experts, voice-first influencers, and platform creators each month for a deep dive into our rapidly evolving voice industry. This monthly event will include things like the latest in marketing innovations and trends, time for you to ask the expert, plus the chance to win exclusive prizes courtesy of Google. Hosted by Sophia Altuna, one of Google Assistant's top industry experts and a leader on the global product partnerships team, we encourage you to register for this free event and join us at voicesummit.ai slash talks. That's voicesummit.ai slash talks. We can't wait to see you there. Harry Yeff, also known as Reaps One, is an award-winning composer, artist, and one of the best beatboxers in the world. He is also currently part of the Experiments in Art and Technology program at Nokia Bell Labs. He talks about how he discovered how he could use his voice in such a wide range of ways, why he believes our voices are our most precious tool, what his experience was like with Bell Labs, and what he discovered when it comes to the relationship between humans and AI, plus the role art plays in technology, and why he wants the untapped voices of the world to express themselves better. Hi, Inside Voice podcast listeners. This is your host, Kerry Roberts. And today my guest is Harry Yeff. He is also known as Reaps One. He's an award-winning composer, artist, and beatboxer. His videos have been viewed more than 100 million times online. And his viewership, academic work, and style has solidified him as one of the greatest beatboxers of all time. He has completed multiple artist residencies at Harvard University and is currently part of the Experiments in Art and Technology program at Bell Labs. Welcome, Harry. So excited you're here today. Yeah, absolutely. It's a pleasure. I'm very, very excited to chat. Nice to be finally connected and uh, yeah, to discuss voice. Yeah. So I'd love for you to start in the beginning. Where did your love for music come from and how did you learn how to beatbox and use your voice in such a wide range? Well, I fell in love with using my voice to compose and write quite a young age, age of 14. And it was for a few reasons. Like I was actually in a really musically rich environment in terms of like early electronic dubstep, techno, grime, which are genres that were kind of exploding in London when I was growing up. And it was the ability to instantly write. Obviously, anyone that speaks, uses their voice, sings, it's very established, this idea of singing in a melody or doing some light percussion just to write. I immediately fell in love with the fact that I could not just do some light percussion or sing. I could start to internalize music theory. I could start writing beats and quite formed ideas using just my voice. And I became absolutely obsessed with the instancy. I just didn't have to wait to get to my instruments. I didn't have to wait to get to a computer. I just started to compose and write in a way that no other tool or instrumentation really offered me. And it just continued to kind of grow from there. And the goal was to break boundaries and trying to feel like I had ownership over something new. Did you take lessons or you just were self-taught? You watched videos? Like how does somebody even learn how to beatbox? No, it was a very like strange serendipitous story. It was pre-YouTube, which is crazy. And uh, I'd seen some like elements of sound making before because it's so important to just like establish. People call sort of composition with voice, they can call it beatboxing, but sound making and voice are as old as humanity itself. It's not a new thing. Like to compose and write with sounds with your voice 
has been a, a music making tool for as long as music has existed. And it was the experimentation and seeing vocalists kind of go beyond traditional techniques. I found it so fascinating. But in terms of like applying it to <laughs> contemporary electronic music, because I wasn't really a hip hop head. It was more about the experimental of music making. That was something that just happened almost by chance. And it came very naturally to me. So no lessons, no guidance, no help, just kind of an obsessive desire to make music instantly and not feel like I have to rely on anyone else. That was the main thing. I didn't like feeling like I had to go to my secondary school to get access to my drums. And I had to kind of go to friends' houses to use like music equipment and like laptops because it's something that I personally didn't have access to myself. And it was the impatience, the impulsiveness to always create, to always made is what made me so focused. And I don't know, it was just a love story from the very beginning. The obsessiveness and the joy it brought me, it started with just myself, but then people started to react around me and producers started to kind of sort of say like, how are you making this sound? How are you doing this sound design? And people wanted to dance as well. And that was one of the key moments for me as my friends would dance to me beatboxing. Yeah, from there, it's just continued to grow and spiral out of control in quite a, an exciting way. Yes, I love that. I think it's great when people are self-taught and you're based on your own creativity. And one of the things I know you like to say is that our voices are most precious tool and that we must give the world a voice. What does that mean to you? Outside of my own musical compositions, I believe there's a lot of communicative thinking and pushing of how we actually connect with each other that directly connects to our voice. The voice is synonymous with the human condition. It's such a fundamental tool used in our day-to-day. But again, if we leave music behind, there is an issue that many people don't feel like they have a voice. Many people do not feel like that is, uh, they are heard. And they also feel like that the realms of their expression is established. Like there's sort of like a, a glass ceiling on everyone. And I really believe that to experiment with the voice, to push our voice as far as we can, is to push the mind as far as we can, is to push the human condition as far as we can, and is to push consciousness as far as we can. I think that there's a, a universally accessible expressiveness that is there, but is massively untapped. And all of the work that I do outside of music and installation, lectures, working with technology, is just a fundamental exploration to try and make people see their voice in a new light. And the aim is to not just to make them sing or perform or make music, it's to literally make them express and feel alive. And the voice can do that. To express and the catharsis of expression through the voice, it wakes people up. And that goes way beyond art to music. It's, it's humanity. So it sounds like a huge mission, but I set on a path three, four years ago to explore the narratives around voice, the innovation around voice um, beyond music making. And it's so insane, the benefits you see and the innovation you see in new ideas around the voice and how universally accessible it is, something that everybody has, but they don't push it to the max. So I want to change the global perspective on voice and in doing that, hopefully give the world a voice, make people feel heard, make them express and make them share. And simple idea on a huge, huge, huge scale. Yes. When we spoke the first time a few weeks ago and you said that, I, I got excited because I'm like, oh, that is so much of what I personally believe. That's a personal goal that I have. And I'm curious how 
you know, you're working to kind of do this. You had done something at a Wired Magazine event where you had showed, you had made some sound and then on an image, it kind of created these like sculpture-like art pieces, which was very cool. And you had told the story about how a young girl did it and she got so excited to kind of see her voice in a visual perspective and she got louder and excited to kind of share her voice. And I was like, oh, I love this story and the importance of it. So yeah, I'd love for you to talk about how you're kind of working to do this on a larger scale before we get into the technology piece, because I do think voice is more than just voice technology. It is about connecting us, making people feel heard. So yeah, I'd love for you to talk more about how you're doing that on a large scale. I think it does really make sense to kind of speak about that story. And because that was the beginning of this, like the scope where I've obviously creative directed and been involved with a number of different tech-based creative projects. And that project you mentioned there, it was a project called C-Sound and it was in collaboration with The Mill, who's an incredible post-production company in New York and a creative director there called Rama Allen. And we had a conversation at South by Southwest where this idea that every voice is precious, every voice is like a fingerprint and it's like a rare jewel. And that term, the voice is like a rare jewel, started to circulate in our conversations more and more. So we built a system which allowed people to digitally sculpt with their voices precious metals and structures. So think of it almost like a brooch or a very rare natural structure. You can build that with your voice and you sing different tones and textures and it will create this uh, completely unique structure. And they're absolutely stunning. Obviously, it's hard to communicate that over a podcast, but the project manifested as an installation. We invited the public to come and use the piece. And this young girl that you mentioned, it completely changed my approach to augmentation, working with technology. But it was a perfect example of how the voice can lead to a flowering of oneself. It can lead to an opening of expressive interest and capacity that can literally change the way you move, the way you feel about yourself, your confidence. Because she was extremely shy. I cannot say she was like a tiny little koala bear attached to her father's leg. When she walked up to the piece, there was a microphone, she said these tiny little utterances. And she saw those sounds become something that looked physical on the wall, these kind of growing crystal-like structures. And when she saw that, she made that connection and she started to shout and scream and eventually laugh. And again, she augmented with this tool, which encouraged her to express and test her voice. And she flowered. And that was the sort of beginning and the sort of the most clean case study of how experimentation and untraditional ways of exploring ourselves can lead to an introspection, which is so beautiful. And obviously, young people is a huge goal. But as you said, it's about all people. So this uh, concept that I love to speak about is this idea that the, soon we'll have 8 billion untapped voices. There will be 8 billion people on this planet, but there are very few that can explore and push their voice to its full capacity. And we don't mean language within something in the realms of paralanguage. And what that means is it's all of the dynamics of musicology being expressed through the vehicle of speech. So all of the social information, the tonality, the timbre, the information that is about your identity and the stylistic information that's locked in your voice that you use every day when you're speaking. 
So again, that's completely outside of language. And do people really listen to the tone of their voice? Do they listen to the melody and the music in their voice? And if they were to think about that more, what would be the effects on their sense of self and their character? So there are a number of different manifestations. Obviously, I'm interested and do a lot of the visceral, large-scale performance and experimentation, trying to push boundaries. But there are very clear examples which are way more on-the-ground, education-based, that I think are being scaled at the moment. But I'm working on trying to develop this spectrum of expression to see how vocal experimentation can directly impact education on a much larger scale. And what you see is, for example, there's a school in New York called Lavelle School for the Blind. And they have a number of different young people that find it difficult to articulate or express or use their voice in a clear way. And they're incorporating vocal experimentation and beatboxing as a form of speech therapy. And if you were to take, for example, there was a a young person there called Remy. When he spoke, he struggled with articulation, but when he beatboxed, it was precise. It was coming from a very different system. So Kayla Moldy, who's actually uh, one of the female world beatbox champions, she was teaching there. And what she started to do was to get Remy to speak with percussion. And she basically took the musical system and got him to speak through that. And his articulation improved massively. And that is a very non-traditional sort of uh, route to go, go through uh, vocal experimentation, beatboxing and contribute to something like speech therapy. But that is something that can be used globally. Everybody has their voice. They need to express, they need to experiment. And what are these other forms of experimentation in the voice that can just help people? And it really is that simple outside of the visceral, expressive, artistic, explosive performances and gallery pieces. How can we actually help people? And that education element of it is massively scalable. And there's a lot of very exciting conversations we're having about trying to implement this. And the final point I will say is you also have to remember, if you do just think about music, you can have a thousand young people in Nepal learn percussion, composition, tonality, mixing, (laughs) sounds making, sound design with just their voice. And that is completely free. The millions and millions and millions of pounds that spent on instrumentation globally can be bypassed with vocal technique and new ideas about vocal expression. And that is something that contemporary, which is a term contemporary beatboxers, something that maybe the audience has never heard before, But cutting edge vocal technique offers all of these things and they're all scalable. So I try to communicate and talk about them. And uh, I just think it's so, so exciting. Yeah. All the things you just talked about are great. And I think you're right. One thing we're not talking about is like you said, it doesn't cost as much money and it's actually more scalable, which is what everyone's always looking for. And I want to slightly transition into a little bit more of what you've been doing with some AI voice work. You've been working with Nokia Bell Labs recently, discovering how humans and machines can work together. And you were able to have an AI learn not only how to recreate your voice, but then it could also predict what was next and create its own sounds. Can you describe what that experience was like and what you've discovered is or could be the relationship between humans and AI? And for anyone who, we will be linking this up in the show notes, some videos of it. The room in which you're in looks a little bit like the show Stranger Things. (laughs) 
<laughs> I don't know if that's just a uh, video editing afterwards, but no, it's, no, that's a, little, a real room. Oh, that's it's room. okay. It's a little scary. So I'd love for you to share that experience. And like I said, you know, what your discoveries are and could be our relationship between humans and AI. Totally. So I'm very interested in how we can explore the concept of what is a future voice and what are future relationships for the human voice. Obviously, we all know and have spoken massively about assistants. So you have Alexa, Google Home, and the fact that we're using our voice as an interface and interacting with digital voices, digital humanism, digital avatars is becoming more and more common. And there is a lot of exciting engineering that allows us to experiment with the cutting edge of developing and interacting with data, interacting with what we can give out expressively as human beings. And our data is obviously a a huge, huge subject. And it's often spoke in terms of the Googles and the sort of using our day-to-day smart devices. But something that's not spoken about a lot is that we can actually use a lot of the tools out there as individuals. And in the same way, you may hear the sort of, there's the tropes of the evil data miners who can take information to sort of adapt and, and write algorithms for selling. You can actually take that powerful tool and use it for yourself to examine, generate, and create new tools that can actually push us further in the ways that we want. So a very clear example of that was the way that I approached collaborating with Dada Bots. Everybody should check out, they absolute innovators in AI and music. And they use a process called sample RNN, which is a process that allows for, instead of predicting a, say, next chess move, like a chess AI would, you can create a data set and teach an AI to predict the next millisecond of audio. So piece by piece, it will start to build something original out of what you've taught it and the training that you've given. So... I did that with my voice. I created a data set of four hours of me speaking and four hours of me performing. So you were able to generate what sounded like me speaking. It didn't speak English. It said and formed phrases and tones that sounded just like me, but they were phrases, full phrases formed that I had never expressed. And Eventually, when we trained the data set of me performing these extra sounds, these experimental vocal techniques, it generated a performance piece, expressions that again were my sounds, but they were recomposed compositions, ideas that I had never done. So there's a theme that I create these data sets, which then lead to a recomposition, something that I've initiated, something I've created that I can start to interact with. And this smart process means that I can use AI process to, on my terms, not relying on the Googles and the the tech giants, but as an individual, I can create an AI that is simultaneously an opponent, a mentor, and a collaborator. And this type of creative computing and interaction is a beautiful introspective process because it's the individual deciding what they want. So I am generating this collaborator and by interacting with it, I'm becoming uh, something else. I'm becoming something more. And I don't think that's where people's heads go originally. Words like beautiful, words like wholesome. But I do think that this is already happening. And I call this an augmented intelligence. 
So interacting with smart process is immediately a form of augmentation. And anyone that says, okay, I'm not interested in that, sadly, it's too late. If you have a smart device, if you have a phone, you are augmented. If you order a taxi using your phone, if you use a GPS, you have a scope and a relationship with the world that you would not have without this tool. So instead of thinking, all right, this is a confusing or difficult idea, I'm seeing that interacting with this type of technology and understanding it as an individual is an absolute must. So I've continued to push that and that project is growing day by day. I call it my second self or the Reaps 0.1 AI, which is a little bit more of a um, (laughs) sensationalist, like funny way to sort of simplify it for everybody. The number of different AI processes are extremely exciting and I really approach it like a chess AI. I started out as a, a tournament chess player. So the first time I actually interacted with AI was through playing chess. And now by battling and collaborating with this different generative audio, I'm starting to compose and write in a way that I just never have before. And the actual technical complexity that I'm being pushed to because of the fact that you can train very complex patterns that you can interact with means that I'm actually beatboxing in a way now that is further away from human sort of motor function capacity than I've ever been. And uh, I believe that's what's so exciting is you can work with technology to train and become something more. And again, I think that is beautiful. I think that is absolutely wholesome. It's interesting how you just describe that because I think people think of voice and AI as something that could be scary or replaces something or maybe makes them less intelligent. But it's interesting that you're talking about it acts as almost like another version of yourself to challenge you to make your real self even better. Well, this is the thing. You have to think about, okay, what are we trying to do? Are we trying to bridge the skill gap? Are we trying to connect A to C and skip B? Or are we actually trying to take our expertise and what we do and have an adversarial relationship with AI? There's a huge difference between making things easier and actually challenging ourselves. And AI can be used for both. The the issue is we often talk about it making things easier. And it's about cutting corners. It's about delegation. It's about trying to kind of offset things we don't want to do as human beings because we're, we can't be bothered. <laughs> and, uh, or things that we can't do. That's the other thing. Is uh, Often, if we talk about the whole quantum computing conversation, the idea is uh, we want to have uh, process problems that human beings simply cannot. But there is a space in between where what we do is we actually, instead of looking to the things we don't want to do, looking ahead to the things we can't do, we use it as a mirror and it becomes an introspective process, which is governed by us as individuals to actually push ourselves further in the ways that we want. I'm using it for voice and for beatboxing, but the process that I've done can be used for all different kinds of composition. It can be used for dance. It can be used for writing. It can even be used just for like this idea of seeing oneself. And that space is not often spoken about, but you will see it more and more. And and my aim is to be at the forefront of that alongside a number of other artists. Uh, Sugwen, who's a New York-based artist, is incredible. She does this with the visual arts. So she has a number of ways of basically painting with robotics and computer vision. Um, Holly Herndon, who's an incredible artist from Berlin, has written a whole album now with an AI-designed character. And uh, Dada bots are at the forefront of the more absurd, exciting, generative music space where they're generating death metal. The idea is all of these things are 
it's putting it on human expertise in a way that is exciting. This is the thing. People are afraid, but if you look at in the natural world, competition is at the very heart of all existence. And this offers a beautiful form of competition that we should be taking advantage of. And I absolutely am. There's a number of different exciting processes now. Like right now, I'm using a, a pattern recognition patch, which basically means I can turn any producer or composition or even your voice, if you send it to me, instantly into a reactive AI. And it's machine learning, it's not deep learning, but it's super exciting. The fact that I can actually now speak with uh, recomposed compositions from any audio. So I see it as a medium, I see it as human, I see it as a human-led creative process. It's not an autonomous science fiction AI. It's what we want it to be. It's just a tool and it manifests in many different ways. So you shouldn't be so quick to listen to the fear and the concerns when it comes to what we can do as individuals to get what we want from it. There is dangers. It can be used to fire nuclear weapons. It can be used to save millions of lives. But what are you going to do with it? And as an artist, that's what I represent. Yes, love it. And I would love for you to talk about your creative process because you've presented and performed at and for organizations like United Nations and Wired Magazine. What is your creative process like? And you know, I told you before that I'm a dancer, a choreographer. Are the sounds you create choreographed? Are they planned in some way like a song or dance would? Or when you do these performances, is it ad lib? Like how does your creative process work? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> all the above. Yeah. There basically is all of those things. One of the absolute joys of like vocal, like the instancy of vocal composition, because the thing is there's so many sounds, first of all. <laughs> And you're able to just instantly compose. And, it's and not let's just, just stop for anyone listening. That is his voice. <laughs> if yeah. you don't realize like the level at which, I mean, that he can do, it's so impressive, Harry. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. I will take that compliment. The instancy that you can write means it would be such a shame to not have spontaneity. And, and I do a lot of like uh, our solo, like virtuosic solo pieces where there are set pieces, but the way that they all connect and it's like a kind of conversation, like someone will sit on stage and they'll kind of lecture or speak and there, there can be an element of spontaneity. They're like a fluent speaker. I'm fluent in kind of expert sound making. And uh, I love to have these spontaneous moments like, like a live electronic set. But that being said, there are uh, full compositions where I will come in and I will write a very precise, specific piece of music, whether it's a choral composition, it's working with dancers, or it's just this, these set uh, vocal pieces that I release online. And um, it really is a vocal experimentation is just such a rich way of composition and sound making. And like I said, I keep saying that it is untapped. I'm not saying that people don't explore voices. Please don't like get it wrong. Many people push voices to this astonishing sort of uh, remit. But there is a, a world that I'm from where there are things happening in voice that just have not happened before. And that's not just me saying it. It's an academically and massively backed, proven thing. And uh, that whole space of being spontaneous, instancy of composition, sound design, uh, new vocal technique, and then just like traditional composition is the spectrum in which I, I work within. Every week is different, but the main goal is to just like to kind of try and smash apart people's expectations. And I have some really funny stories of meeting either like top academics or composers 
who have that preconception of like, okay, so uh, Reap Swan Harry F is coming in, he's a beatboxer. And there is this kind of like, okay, hip hop, some sort of beat making, maybe some novelty copying some sounds. But this kind of new wave of beatboxing really is something that the general mass world have not really caught up on yet. So the reaction is really fun. You can see people convert after they kind of experience a performance live or there is some conversation and discussion like we're having. And hopefully there's some people that become intrigued. Yeah, it's my pleasure to try and open people's minds. Yeah. And a lot of people, I don't know if you know this, but a lot of people in the voice technology world come from a creative background. So a lot of them are singers, musicians, dancers, filmmakers, writers. It's been a very interesting space to see there are so many creatives. And I'm curious, what do you think, you know, what role does art and even performance play in voice technology? Well, I guess the real question is, is like, why do artists matter in innovation as a whole? Very important question to discuss. I was actually brought in by United Nations to be a part of a panel and, and give a lecture specifically about that. And the way that I see it is that artists represent not just experimentation and freedom, but they represent the empathy of any process. They represent and govern the world of narrative. They govern the stories and the capacity to make people connect with things in a lateral way that traditional media and traditional communication just does not allow. And we have an epidemic right now that people are overstimulated and fed up and people's attention spans are going down and down and people are becoming more and more hardened in their opinions. And artists are the ones that can come in and smash all of those constraints to pieces. You can create a performance with a new piece of technology that could have an individual that would never normally care about that process is or what that piece of tech is or what that idea is or what that problem is or that concern is. But you can actually connect with people. And it's the role of the artists to help these larger global problem-solving stages that when they come to a conclusion, to help these new ideas connect. And that is happening more and more, the, the concept of an artist in research. Art and technology is massively on the rise not just because it's cool as, I won't swear, cool as hell, but because it's actually contributing to research and allowing for public engagement that otherwise is not available. So artists are the rule breakers. Artists are the ones that can lead to new perspective. They encourage their plasticity. They encourage the idea that new things can happen. And the amount of times that I've gone in and sat down with a sort of a room full of engineers and made a suggestion, which at first doesn't make sense, but when we get to the end and it happens, they see how people connect with their research. It's always so exciting. And we need to have more artists that are willing to integrate and learn new language to work on a more fundamental academic or integrating with non-art spaces level. And then we also need to find ways for these institutions, for these top like global stages to allow for structured artistic facilitation. So these two worlds can come together because we're the weak link in the chain for problem solving. We are the missing piece. So real forward thinkers, real change makers with amazing artists is the most powerful formula. I just think it's so important that people and artists and musicians are not just thinking about their subjective sort of goals and their subjective ideas of beauty and impact. They're also thinking about an objective purposefulness. 
how does your capacity to create beautiful music or incredible visual art, how could that scale up to having commentary on a global issue? And when you find artists that kind of combine those two things, what you have is the potential for making change. And that's why artists matter in arts and in the world of voice and technology. I think the reason that's happening is because the voice is so fundamentally human. Anything truly human is always going to need experimentation and it's always going to need lateral, open-minded, eagle overview. So that's obviously like a crash course in my approach to these things. But I'm really fighting for the artist to undo fear, to undo uh, habitual thinking, to undo sensationalism, to undo science fiction narratives so that we can actually have older generations, uh, young people and everybody else that maybe has a detuned concept of the reality through an experience or performance, see the world for what it is and hopefully we can actually move forward. And that is the goal. I want people to move forward. And art is a huge, huge, powerful tool in that. Ah, I love it. It's so good. Where can people learn more about what we talked about, connect with you if they want to do that? My website is reaps100.com. I have some talks on there and some projects. And um, you can find me on Instagram at reaps1. So R-E-E-P-S-O-N-E. And uh, Twitter is R-E-E-P-S with the number one. There's about 2,000 videos of me on YouTube. And um, my music world and my sort of uh, progressive kind of creative direction space is all kind of fused into one. If people find me specifically on Instagram, feel free to say hi, ask any questions. And we have a lot of really exciting stuff uh, coming out this year. I love it. Thank you so much, Harry, for your time, for your insight, for providing something a little different within the voice technology world that we're not hearing as much about. And I am so excited to hear more of what you create going ahead in the future. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Inside Voice podcast. We greatly appreciate you being a part of our community. And if you enjoyed this episode or you like the podcast, we would love it if you would subscribe, follow, like, share, leave a review of the show. If you have any questions, comments, feedback, people you want to see on the show, things you want to learn, feel free to send us an email at kerry at modev.com. That's K-E-R-I at modev.com. And be sure to check us out online at voicesummit.ai. Thank you. And we look forward to chatting with you next week.